That's what I think. Hello. Uh oh, what's going on over there? Oh, hey there. It was like a waterfall, wasn't it? A waterfall? No, no, Taylor running water in the sink. How's it going? Good. Is this everyone? Is Taylor on with you guys? She's standing right here. Yeah. All right, cool. I think Al, she's going to join us late. Um, but nonetheless, still sent her the invite. How was it getting in? Was it super easy? Uh, yeah, it was easy. I did it on dad's computer. Uh, oh, you guys are on the computer. Okay. Well, you yeah, you sent it to my uh, cell phone, and I figured it would be easier for all of us to, to talk with the uh, computer here. All right, cool. Well, welcome to the first episode of Sunday Dinner, where we talk about anything that's on our minds, raw, uncut, unfiltered. Uh, of course, it's featuring just us this first episode, but maybe in the future, we extend this out to Uncle Jimmy and some other family members or whoever else you like would like to have on this podcast. Um, it says I'm your host. Uh, but obviously I'm not. It's just us talking. So nothing uh, different about what we would normally do over dinner. It's just literally a spark of conversations, ideas, news that happened during the week, anything that's on your mind. Maybe you ate some really good food you wanted to share it, or you heard a really good song, whatever it is. Um, it'd be cool to keep this podcast kind of around those realms of just like, whatever's going on in your brain and share it with us so we can go back and forth and talk about it. Is that cool? Mm -hmm. Sounds like a plan. Cool. Um, there's really no limit either on like time. Some I'm sure Sunday dinners can go hours and some maybe 30 minutes, depending on how much we have to say for the week. Uh, so yeah, there's, there's yes. literally no format to this. There's no agenda. If we feel like we need an agenda in the future because we run out of topics to talk about, then like, of course, we'll put that together. But for now, I think it's just it's open ended. So open forms. Pause over here, or, or turn the because Taylor's about to make a smoothie. Mm -hmm. so how do I turn this for you? Yeah, okay, well, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Come on. No, I, I can wait. You no, okay. I'm not pause. I'm turning the volume down. Where is it? It doesn't matter. The volume yeah. makes a difference. The microphone's still going to pick it up. Oh. <laughs> It's going to be loud, Garrett. <laughs> That's so perfect. Okay. <laughs> No problem. Uh, I mean, Taylor, if you need to continue, that's fine. I'm chilling. Go ahead. Well, she made one. I think I might have to make sure. one. Go so, ahead. Make one. We're starting. We're starting. We've already started. I, I, guess I'll, I guess I'll kick us off. Um, the first topic I wanted to talk about is how are we feeling about pronoun usage and how there's been a lot more conversations and hype around 
women and men deciding to use the pronouns like she, her, he, his, uh, when describing themselves. Have y'all heard this? I have to read, I haven't I've heard I've heard a little discussion about the, the use of pronouns and people choosing the pronouns. But I, I thought a lot of the discussion on the pronouns had to do with the gender gender uh, relationship is what I thought it had to do with. And people want to make sure that the right pronoun was being used for the gender that they associate themselves with. Yeah, I'm pretty sure you're right. I'm pretty sure that it's definitely what it's talking about. How do y'all feel about that? Is that cool? Would you like, is that acceptable in the workplace? Uh, you know, in, in the workplace, uh, frankly speaking, I mean, we, we, we identify people, unless they tell us anything different here, uh, what we visually see. If you look like a woman, we use feminine pronouns. If you look like a man, we use, you know, masculine, unless we're told otherwise. Unless somebody tells us, you know, that their identification is something else, it's kind of what it is. But I have to admit, I haven't run across that too much, at least not in my workplace. You know, maybe because it's a manufacturing environment, maybe that's the reason why. Just haven't bumped into it too much, actually. Yeah. Well, I mean, Taylor's, I'm sure it's a lot more flexible, open, progressive working for Wyden, right? Yeah. Can you ask the question again? Have you heard about the hype with pronoun usage? She, her, his, he. How do you feel about it? And what do you think it's like? Or do you think it's acceptable in the workplace? Yeah, of course it's acceptable in the workplace because the whole point of it is to make everybody feel inclusive. So the more people that actually state their pronouns, like we use it in our uh, in the signature of our emails at work. And it's just everybody's using it because then that way if there's anybody who wants to come out, like we had an employee about a month ago who came out as trans and switched the pronouns over. And it was really easy for them to do it and they weren't singled out because everybody in the agency does it. I think that's kind of so, the main purpose of why so people are. So how do you, how do you, you do that? Somebody you recognize and say male and you come out. So you, you send a mass email to everybody and say, now would you refer to me as she? Do you send an email to let everybody know? I mean, how it worked in our agency is they reached out to their management team because they were talking about that they took some personal time and talking about their personal journey. And then the management team had asked them, like, are you comfortable if we share this news with the entire agency so that everybody knows how to identify you so that we don't call you by your dead name? And then our leadership actually invited them to speak at our call agency by meeting. What? Dead name. What's a dead name? So if you're assigned male at birth and your parents name you Brian, but then when you transition over and you decide to choose your own name and you go by Linda, Brian is your dead name. So your dead name is the name that your parents gave you at birth, obviously. Yeah, your dead name is the name you got at birth that, that your parents gave you. That whoever gave it to you. Not everybody is named by their parents. About 97, 98, 99% of us, right? So at our agency, we just, yeah, I mean, a lot of us are, but. Who else would name you? The random janitor up and down the hallway? Or the, the nurse? Who would name you? I don't know. My friend was named by the nurse because she didn't have parents. Wow. Well, we're we're opening the doors to using pronouns around the workplace for the heat. It's not catching flames or fire yet, but I'm sure over the next coming months, 
uh, this will be something of topic. Right now, we're all, I guess, in Women's History Month mode. So we're recognizing the women that are working around the workplace. Uh, that's cool. Actually, next question from that, honestly, to build on that. You said, like, dead names and, and then the names that you prefer to choose. Do you think it should be normal or commonplace for people to pick their own names at some age? Like, of course, you've got names that your family have given you and you consider that your government name and you go by it. But we're moving into like a, a world that's more technical in the online space where people have avatars in their own names and they feel more comfortable picking that. Do you think we should allow for that in, in real life, that people can pick their names and it not be so taboo? I mean, that's what a nickname kind of is. No, nickname is not a government name. A nickname is just you a call. Legally, legally change your name, right? Yeah. I mean, people Once legally... become an adult, yeah, yeah. People legally change their name. I mean, they've been doing it all along, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. You know, and be honest with you, back in the old days, people didn't legally change your name. They just changed it. Your grandfather's middle name is not Edward. And, so, and yet, on every document that he signs, he signs James Edward Roberts, like your like your uncle, James Edward Roberts Jr. But if, when I look on his birth certificate, because I have your grandfather's birth certificate, his middle name is not Edward. His middle name is uh, is Edward or something. It's a different, it's begins with Edgar. Edgar, Edgar. And Edgar happens to be his, grandfa- uh, his grandfather's uh, name. He didn't like Edgar. Oh, Edgar. It's his name from his grandfather, Edgar. And he just didn't like it. And I know he didn't legally change, but somehow, back in the old day, you just say it enough, and it became. And so, so, so legally, he's been signing his name wrong. Like your uncle, uh, uh, Uncle Junjun, his name was Farce, but he changed the spelling of it. You know, he was a junior, but he decided to have two R's, F-O-R-R. I thought, yes. I thought he had three R's. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah. Well, my name is Oprah, and I'm going to go to the bank and access all of her bank accounts. I don't think so, because you, you still don't have all of the passcodes. So. Yeah, so your dead name is Taylor. I'm okay with that. <laughs> I will spread she the wall with you guys. Yeah. Did you hear that? She I said will, her dead I, name. All I even need is just the interest. Let me, let me, off the let me, let me go back and change the, the, the whole insurance policy since she doesn't like the name we gave her. <laughs> the, then it will be a dead name. to benefit all of us. You know how much money Oprah makes? Like I said, I'm okay with you getting rid of the dead name. It's just going to change our uh, financial situation. Dead name. I've never heard of that before. Dead mm-hmm. name. Yeah, they, they I mean, it's harsh. I would say like the name my parents gave me. Something or the like name that, that I, you know, no, no longer like, go by. There's a lot of trans people that their parents actually remain as part of their transitioning, but the parents are supportive. I, I get all that, but, I I know, but what it's I'm just saying, the fact that but using that, that semantics and, of us are named by parents. I get, but why you keep going back to that? That's kind of like putting an emotional attachment to that. Because like, it is an emotional attachment. And that's what I'm saying. Part of the work we wanted to come up with names. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Part of the transition process sometimes. Relatives giving us different them. recommendation. And, and you don't hear dogs, anything. Dogs, cats, and all that. Yeah, work we wanted to name it. Hey, Gary, what are you eating? I'm not eating anything, but I was eating earlier. I had sushi from Negroni and some leftover, like, uh, stir-fry rice I made. Mm, I'm hungry. So. What's the next question? Well, it's a conversation, right? Well, you want it. You can ask a question. 
Yeah, have, it's, it's it's all open for. I really didn't. I'm gonna be honest. I didn't prepare any questions. Mom, what have you been up to? Nothing. What else are you doing? Braiding my hair. Well, what's up? Braiding Taylor's hair, getting her ready for her Hawaii trip. What's on your mind right yeah. now? You can talk so about whatever. Here it is. Do you guys think in this generation that you guys find yourself in? I see. I see they renamed this generation as the E generation. Uh, what does that stand for? Electronic. The electronic uh, generation. Electronic uh, for, e, for E cars, for everything, right? That's what they call themselves now. The E generation is what they call themselves, right? The easy button. So, so do you guys <laughs> you guys see in this generation that, that you guys have this opportunity now to maybe pivotally change the to change the course of what's happening in this country and stuff. I mean, you think about it, all the, the Black Lives Matter protests and all the other stuff. Do you guys sincerely think that this is you guys' moment to do what was done in the 60s with the, the, the generation that was coming out during the 60s, to do that now? We yeah. are actually doing that. But it's also actively fighting against the, an up, or sorry, it's an uphill battle. Well, it has to be an uphill battle. Otherwise, there would yeah. be no need to do it. Right? I know. That's what I'm saying. Sorry, I'm answering. Yes, because that's what we've been doing the last few years. And that's what, between my, my generation and Gary's generation and the generation after you, you him. You do know that you guys are in the same generation. Technically, Gary was born in 95, right? Yeah, I'm a millennial. Taylor is Gen. Uh, Gen. Okay, you guys, I know you guys go by those definitions, but you, you're in a span of 20 years, so you still. No, but there's like there's different generational shows. I get, shows. How, I get how they. We're talking I about. Get, I get how other people label the generations. I get it. I really do. But I think. So we. I, say what? I I was just gonna hopefully try and answer the your question i don't i'm not quite sure it's a real answer but yeah i think we're still in the process of making those changes considered to be the e-generation if you will right as you said or just I, I would look at it more as the the technology generation not necessarily everything happening electronically but just i would consider it technology i think yes our generation is treating certain like tools and features of technology such as online communications uh, and how we uh, you know communicate with each other in online communities social media platforms etc stuff like that I think we are in the process of pushing more of the messaging around like change and progressiveness and all of that and be, because we're shifting more to a, a technical world um you know, businesses, the you know, governments, um, laws have to get changed. People are listening because of the power of technology and how online and how plugged in we are. So, yeah, I think we we do have some sort of moral responsibility. And I also think we're in the process of, like, truly defining those moments of how powerful our voices are online. So you think that level of connectivity, because you know, this 100 percent access 24 seven. Jelly, I said. Oh, I uh, said no, <laughs> jelly. Um, you have the too? Do you think that the uh, this hundred percent access is a good thing? Because I watch how this phone look like it has the meaning of life for people, they, and, and like they're tethered to the same phone, 
Like that's their whole life. And, and it seems to be the thing that defines them. Uh, all seems to define them in every way. And so do you think that's healthy? Because it seems like if it, if it doesn't come through their phone and is not, if you're not liked enough or whatever the crap that people do, people seem to define themselves by that in some way. Yeah, I definitely agree. Nice, but like our generation is addicted to phones, but we have a lot less like interfamily. I wouldn't. I wouldn't say that. Not. That's not what I mean by. I think it has weakened the family. What I mean by that is, you see, our generation, like we're on the phone, we're constantly connected, but we also have access to all the information. We are also able to make friends in some random province in China that you've never heard of before and learn like Mandarin over a connection that you would have never I, had before. I know. See, Whereas I, before you had phones, you have generations where you have to figure out a way to entertain yourself and there's nothing wrong with it, but everybody has their vice. So I think, our generation's vice may be the I phone. think you guys look at it but as a positive, but it seems to me that it's, it's a positive in the neck. I'm not saying it's just the positive. I don't Okay. Has a week in the family. I think. I think a month ago when we talked about all the different family secrets of like people having secret kids and like going around and having a whole of their families. Like, but when we're stronger, happen. those secrets held us together. <laughs> Nowadays, <laughs> there are no secrets. Because LLI would be out in the back, open. Back in and the 50s, our generation is less back likely in the 50s to do and stuff 60s, like that. There were a lot of no stuff happening that, of that you didn't know what was going on, but it held us together. Mm-hmm. I, I think mother's not recognizing the kids. <laughs> All sorts of crazy crap was going on back there. And we don't have that as much. Because don't, you don't, don't think you don't have that. No. Between DNA, 23 and me, and like having just instant access to everything, I think if we were to look up the statistics, because I don't know off the top of my head, that instances like that don't happen as much because it's much harder for people to hide. Now. You guys are willing to give away your freedom to yourself. Like when you just said 23 and me, it's a plot by the CIA to gain, to, to gain your your information, your your DNA information that is then sold to big pharmaceutical companies that they use against you. It's a story on 60 Minutes First about that. Don't them. lump us all together because I'm not doing DNA uh, I'm, No, 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 I'm just but... saying, but there was a story on 60 Minutes two weeks ago about that, how the Chinese and other big pharmaceutical uh, and the Chinese using this information in order to get a major foothold in the pharmaceutical companies and stuff, and that things like 23andMe, all it is is collecting data because they're not really telling you much of anything at the end of the day. It, but the willingness to give away information so quickly is what's so. But it's not just the younger generation. Like Facebook's major demographic is mom, like housewife, someone in their like forties to sixties, and that's how they tend to get a lot of information. Like by seeing what you're sharing and by what you're going online and doing. Well, I'm just it's saying, people, just, people like me, we don't give away anything. I think we're, we're still keeping. I don't. We still keep our secrets. All there could be Google six of There could the be six love kids out there, and you won't even know about no. it. No, yeah. love kids. I think. I think it's more for me. Not I'm just, you have you have an entire <laughs> smart house. You're connected to like that smart doorbell thing. You've got all these Google things that are listening. But not, they, they have all but, of your but, data. But Big brothers watching. But they don't know anything about you. Yeah, they have I bet all you they of don't. your data. I, bet you they don't. I, I think it's. Uh, I think everything is needed in balance like you ask if it's healthy for us to be plugged in all the time to our phones or your technology or whatever it is like of course like you know everything that as a human being like everything you do is supposed to be in moderation too too much water can kill you too like 
too much, you know, working out too often is more damaging than not. Like, it's not just us being locked in 24 seven to the phones. Like if that's acceptable or not, it's, it's about what, what being healthy is. And I think balance is where it's supposed to be. Now, where we are right now, since of course we are the generation of technology and, you know, before us, you guys didn't really have the same opportunity to engage. Yeah. Like because of that, we're all like, we're still learning. Like we're in the learning phase. We haven't figured any of this out yet. Like we've seen glimpses of what the future is to look like through like blockchain and, and cryptocurrencies and, you know, electric cars and all like we're seeing glimpses, but we had the party line. Yeah, you guys had something very different. So, no, I think I don't think it's healthy to be locked in 24-7, but I don't think we should be fighting it anymore. Like, again, Taylor made a great point. Mom, your your generation, that demographic of, like, you know, mother of two, this age group, you know, this type of money, these interests, like, a large percentage of people that have Facebook accounts – are 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 you mom like that's who's on facebook that's why facebook advertising is so powerful because they're marketing the people that are you so i think there's a i think there's a lot of positives to what we've done with technology like dad look at your business you're you're plugged in you 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 run international business and without you having the the power at your fingertips to be connected online and to have and to get instant real-time information or answers to questions that you may have from Asia, like think about that. Your life would be Let's set back. You have the F45 app and all of this heart rate and this LeBron thing too. Like you haven't realized that counts as social media and that's all your information that they're tracking. I'm not socializing with anybody. Social media is just you going on with somebody else. We're able to data mine even just by like right now, us being on this computer. And even if you don't have the tabs open, if you've ever gone onto any of these websites, that's what cookies are, and they're keeping track of everywhere you go and what you look at. I'll turn off the cookies. I don't eat cookies very long. Okay. So you know, <laughs> this is of all of us in this house. I think your person, like your like entire health history, is out there compared to anybody else in this house. But your information is out just as much as my information is out. Mine's on paper. You put yours in the system. On social. Well, there is like on the YouTube and Facebook. Yeah, you, <laughs> I'm talking about my health. Amazon owns everything about and you. Amazon. <laughs> they own everything about you. No, they own everything about you. Like they own color your eyes. They own a man. They have built a profile of you. All, all the crap. No, they off. have not. So my not, name is not on the Amazon they, account. They, they your name is on the Amazon account. They know it's not me. They don't they know, know it's me. They know there's no damn way that Mark Roberts would have been you know. Feathered. They don't know that. No, you can actually go to Google <laughs> AdSense and it'll actually tell you what it's learned. Oh my gosh. Like Steph Curry just won the three point shootout again. <laughs> Steph Curry. No, no, no. But I mean, like, you can actually go on and log in and it'll tell you everything that it's learned about you and it'll tell you how accurate it is. Like, mine knows that I'm a millennial woman of color who's interested in social justice and art and music. And like it, it has me so targeted. It knows I'm single, it knows I'm not kids. So it doesn't market anything with children or like anything about families and wholesomeness to me. It markets experiences and travel. And, and you feel good about that? No, I'm just saying it knows, that's part of my job though. Like that is part of my job is us using the information as mind. And then we have to basically market and advertise these products to regurgitate capitalism at you. 
Okay. But it's not any different from what happened in the past. It's just everything just evolved. So back in my day, that type of advertising came from the neighbors. Nosy, we call them nosy neighbors who was in on our business all the time. Yeah, and that advertising was terrible. Yeah. It was it was what it was. I mean, that's all it was at the end of the time. It was what it was. Yeah, we had in the television 60s. with uh, what? Three stations. And we did yeah, watch that was maybe we, we listened to more radio and then we had one TV. phone in the entire house. I don't remember watching TV into the 70s, to be honest mm -hmm. with you. I had, had no interest in it. Yeah, and then the TV. Well, my grandparents never uh, probably saw a television. No, but what I'm saying is your grandparents are probably saying the same things about your parents as your parents said to you, probably when oh, you were younger. Totally. Like when I grew up, I didn't have this, what you're saying right now. Things evolve and we move forward. And it's just, you just have different processes. Nowadays, we have cell phones that know everything, and like, yeah, there's like Gary saying, there's a downside to it, but there's also a benefit to it is that you can access anything. Care. Like, you are the first person in the house who always goes to ask Google. If there's a question that comes up, you are the first one who goes, like, Oh, I want to go buy the technology, and that's, that's part of the latest. beauty of technology that like we have all this access. That comes from growing up in a barbershop environment where I know that they were lying so much, so now I want the truth because when I was growing up. When I was growing up, Where's truth was defined by the owner of the barbershop. Whether you mean we were all in the room together. Yeah, so I don't know. Well, what's the next question? Yeah, what do you guys want to talk about? How are these chia seeds are stuck in the bottom of this thing? What's that? I put them in the right order. Talking about the chia seeds and my smoothie being stuck to the bottom, like keep sucking up these. Are you there, Garrett? Yeah, I'm here. It's just I don't think we should all be talking over each other, so I'm just listening. No, I say, What's the next question? Is what I said, and then no one answered, so that's when we started talking. I mean, I'm happy. So I listened to a podcast today when I went running, and it's a podcast, and they were talking to a lady named Yama. Dr. Yama, something. She's a uh, a first generation African from Ghana. Grew up in New Orleans, and she and her her dad moved her to Dover, Delaware, because he was a professor. and And she, you know, she's an expert on on race. And she was talking to this this, this white woman who was hosting a podcast, Renee somebody. Uh, that I was listening to on um, uh, Spotify is what I was listening to. Boy, you know, I was listening to. She made some interesting comments. She said, "You know," she said, she told Renee, she said, "Do you know most black people are trilingual?" And Renee was like, "What are you talking about?" Mm -hmm. I said, "And it just happened naturally." She said, "Well, we have a language that we use when we're like in a business environment, that we're in a professional environment." And then we have a language that we use when we come home and we're hanging out with our, our friends or girlfriends or old friends or whatever it is. And then we have a different language we use, like with our parents and grandparents, more of a respect. She said, so, you know, we're all, you know, we're trying minimally, we're trilingual. And she said, in my house, I actually have to be, you know, at a force to it because being from Ghana, there's a different way you have to interact when you're from Ghana and stuff. And, and she said, and we go through, we go in and out of where we need to be, you know, just fluently because we have to. 
as a, as a matter of nature. And she said, it's not so much that, you know, the people, some people think that, you know, you know, we're being fake. Yeah. She said, some people go overboard with it. She said, but at the end of the day, it's not being fake. It said, it is, it is a necessity for us, unfortunately, in order to e exist in the environment that we're operating in. And I thought, you know, he's so, she's so right. Because the way I talk to people at work is no place near the way I talk when I come home. She is so right. I never thought about it like that at, at all. In terms she, of Wait, hold on, hold on. You code switch? When I'm at work, I have a completely different way I address people. Absolutely. I, I choose my words differently. Yeah, I use no, 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 I mean, I don't that. know about cold switching. I just that part, I just mean the because I think everybody I, talks different at work than they do at home. I use completely Even. different vocabulary at work than I do at, at home. Yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, you know, it, it just happens, it happens, you know. And then she talked about the degree of color, you know, uh, and she wrote a book called uh, One Drop, it's a book that she wrote. And it's about that there, there used to be this a rule, and she said it's still kind of in place, that if you just had one drop of black blood, you were mm -hmm. deemed to be black. And then she said, then you go into the black community, and then you got the, the various stratification of blackness in the black community. She said, like New Orleans. In New Orleans, everybody wants to know what high school you went to. First, define that you, you, that you are from New Orleans. Then in New Orleans, you got African-American black, you got Creole black, you got, uh, I forget, something else that she mentioned. And, you know, and, and she said, <laughs> and the difference between Creole and, and African-American black is Creole deemed to be a little light-skinned with, you know, with the nice hair versus <laughs> African-American black who wouldn't pass the comb test, as she said. You yeah. It's it, it pretty interesting. And then, and, and then she said, you know, she said, and even if they pass the comb test, then maybe they won't pass the, the uh, the uh, paper, paper bag uh, test it will be the next test that they have to be you know, put up against. Like, yeah, you know, <laughs> she was so right. It was an interesting uh, podcast. Yeah, um, let's but yeah. let's let's talk about let's like you just there was a lot in that what you talk what you said about the podcast, and I just don't want to lose the first thing that we you brought up was about you know whatever you said at first that sparked the whole interest with this podcast that you read about, you know, having multiple languages that you speak or whatnot, it's right. Like she's right, but it's wrong. But do you see that it's only in the black community or do you just see it be true with minorities and international folks that are working in a specific country? Like, I, I think it's true. Yeah, that's her. I think it's true. Uh, Anybody who doesn't necessarily perceive themselves to be the majority race, right? That that you find yourself trying to adapt in order to try to fit into that certain situation. Yes, and I think that is the point I'm making. That any minority has to put on a hat at work, a hat at home with your parents, and then a hat at you know with your significant other, your friends or family. And outside of your friends, family, your parents, let's talk about like at work. Why is it that still in 2021, minorities have to abide by and change the way they literally live in the workplace when it should be the other way around? Like there are statistics and studies showing that America, for instance, where, yes, it's still predominantly white European descent based. Oh, by some, wait, hold on. By, by some year, the average American is going to be the Creole skin color with multiple different, you know, yeah, we're of, getting there. 
And so I'm saying, why is it that we still have to adapt to the majority, which is the white Caucasian workplace, when in fact it should be the other way around? They need to be adapting to us because we're the feature. Yeah, I it's a good it's a good question to ask, right? <laughs> it's a really good question, and probably the the short answer to it, not necessarily saying wrong, right, uh, but short answer is is that those who tend to control the power of the employment, <coughs> the workplace. <coughs> excuse me, define, kind of defines the norms, right? <coughs> Not saying it's right. <coughs> that's that's why the adaptation takes place. <coughs> now, here's the interesting thing. You know, you know, those, you know, in this country, you know, white Americans deem to be the majority you know, race and stuff, and therefore, you know, they, they, they control, like, you know, the major corporations and stuff, and therefore we adapt to the major, you know, adapt to them, the major corporation. Yama pointed out something that I didn't think about, but she was right when I thought about it. She said, white people on this planet are in the minority. She yeah. said, think about that. She said, let's see, there are 1.2 billion brown people in India, and then you add another billion plus in Africa, so now you're at 2.4, 2.5 billion people that are brown. And then she said, then you start adding up all across the, uh, the globe, like in Brazil, you know, Central America, and, you know, and start adding up, you know, the Chinese, there's another one point, whatever, two billion Chinese, because they're not white. Uh, and you add up all the Asians and say, when you really think about it, those people call themselves white, but they're really European white. They are far, far in the minority on this planet. And yet, why do we find ourselves bowing to this minority group? No, that's them. We we know they're the minority. We all, everyone knows that, but we don't live in those countries. We live in America where that's just not the truth. I know. I know it's not the truth, but she was just globalizing. And she said, I mean, just give just, it a year and a half, two years, said, but according you, to the census. And the so you white pull, people will no longer be the majority. Yeah. So you pull back. She said, they are truly, I know it's colonialism and stuff like that. She said, but she said, you know, if you really think about this and stand back and look at it, they're the damn minorities on this planet. And so, so. You know, and, and sure, the, the tentacles of, of historical colonialism has left them in this, this place of power. But the majority of people uh, on this planet are people of color, truly of color on this planet. And I never really, it never crossed my mind because she's she throwing all the Asians, throwing all the Africans, throwing all the Indians, throwing the Central Americans, and then throw the rest of us. And you said, you know, out of the six or seven billion people on the planet, you know, we make up the people of color, you know, look. Five billion. <laughs> so I would break that down into a couple different things because the first thing is we can only talk about it from the lens of being in the U.S. Because here in the U.S., we did grow up in a white majority until recently, and so we're kind of surrounded by a white majority, a white dominant culture. But when you look around globally, this goes back to the phone thing as well. Oh, he's like disappearing. Go ahead. <laughs> we start talking, you walk away. No, no, I'm just saying. So when you basically branch out and now you've got like this global culture that's being informed by the internet, we're allowing mass media to flow from the, like, honestly, America is kind of pretty dominant as far as mass media and that's going to the different corners of the world. Like that's when you're starting to see a lot of our cultural tendencies or like Western European cultural tendencies kind of reaching out. So a lot of it is kind of who's ever able to control mass media and culture is kind of controlling the flow of like our norms and how 
we behave and like the things we think about or what are even like our, our shopping behaviors or family traditions. It's like all these little things that are informed by this little kernel of like mass media and how that's kind of because we're now globalized through the internet, how that's starting to infect. Because up until like 15 years ago or even 20 years ago, if you were in China, you would have had your entire culture that's a lot more insular and it didn't have anything to do with white culture or white dominant anything. Now you've got this mix <coughs> as much as they're trying to censor it. You get the internet bringing in a lot of social media and you're starting to see a lot of like this white dominant culture that's starting to inform their behaviors and the next generation coming up. According to the Chinese government when I was there. They're trying their best, but they can't stop. Like this is the thing. They, with, they turn off the internet. It doesn't matter. <laughs> like when you're talking about the younger generation and how we're constantly glued to our phones, like we figured out VPNs and like how to go around. If they turn off the internet, that doesn't mean that there's there's no internet. Like there's still a way. There will always be a way. And people keep finding a way around the censorship. No. So I don't know. I just think it was an interesting podcast when I was running this morning and stuff that I was listening. I thought I thought. Hey, some pretty good. She made some pretty good, strong points uh, that Yama was talking about this morning and stuff. Hello. So, but anyhow, that was something that I, I heard this morning while I was running. Yeah, I think that's. I think those are all great points and observations. Uh, glad we could get back on that. But then also, you mentioned about you know identifying as whatever you identify as in America. And I think there's an identity crisis, at least I feel amongst myself sometimes, to be an African-American. I consider myself black, but I'm light-skinned. And I sometimes do feel like there's an identity crisis for some black folks in America. Example, like, hang around white folks, you know, because there's we speak whatever you mentioned about the podcast, you listen to the trilingual, whatever it is. Sometimes I talk too black, act too black for the white folks. But then when I'm around, you know, dark skin, you know, people, you know, I'm the, I'm the, odd, I'm the odd one out. I'm the light skin one and I'm not, I'm not black enough. So sometimes I do feel like I have an identity crisis with myself in America. She mm-hmm. talked about I mean, that I had morning. a friend, my friend Eric and I got into an argument about this because she's dark skin and I'm not, obviously. And she was telling me that I don't know or I've never experienced racism because I'm light skin. <laughs> Our argument because it started with us being in the back of a taxi and she was saying that the taxi cab driver was being rude to her but was being nice to me and she's like it's because I'm dark skinned and that's what started this conversation what fell out of it was just yes there is colorism is granted especially within the black community itself but we do kind of have this internalized bias towards the darker skin because we Going back to just our history in this U.S. country and like being able to pass and have lighter skin and fairer skin and like what the lighter skin actually meant for black person, and like our status and where we were positioned in life. Well, but it, now it's seeing fall out and like having to navigate between one still being a black person, even your light skins, and you're still dealing with. You know, but still dealing with the fact that you have to live in the black experience in America, and when you go outside, you're still going to face prejudice, and you're still going to face microaggressions. But then on the other side, we do have to understand, and we, as light-skinned black people, part of the light-skinned community, 
have to account for colorism is real. And that you see a lot of, especially for black women or like dark skinned black women, like we need to actively be fighting for our dark skin, part of our like community, because that's something that we're not seeing or that's something we're starting to see more, but it's something that, point that we're kind of, I don't know, turning on each other a little bit even about it. Like when you look at everything from the TV shows where you see the light skinned mom and you see the dark skinned dad and even just the whole conversation with Aunt Viv, um, the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, and how they got rid of dark skin Aunt Viv and replaced her with a light, bright version of her. I think there's it's a weird dichotomy to live in because it's something that I think about a lot because it goes back to that conversation I had with my friend of like, how do you think I don't experience racism because I'm still a Black person in this country, but I do have to acknowledge that you experience something different coming from the darker skin experience versus me. But at the end of the day, racism ain't shit, so on both sides of the board. So here's a great example, Indians. There was a show on Netflix about uh, getting people hooked up for marriage. Uh, I forget the name of the show, we saw it. Uh, so, um, the Matchmaker? Yeah, The Matchmaker, right? The, the lady who's on that show openly talked about the, the, the cast, but she talked about color, that they preferred that the guys prefer lighter skinned girls more so than darker skinned Indian girls. Right. She openly told me here's a here's a society that's pretty homogeneous, at least in one sense. They got the caste system. You know, India has the largest uh, usage of changing the color of their skin in any other place on this uh, planet, even though it's very dangerous. Uh, procedure to change the color of skin. You're about skin bleaching? They're doing mm -hmm. skin bleaching like there's no tomorrow in India because of the perception of, of the lighter skin is of a better cast and stuff. And she called it, Yama today called it degree of whiteness, you know, of trying to get a, a degree of whiteness, of, of whiteness closer to whiteness because people, you know, have some different level of acceptance to it. Which is exactly what Taylor was saying. We saw it uh, when we were growing up in uh, elementary school. Your mom and I and stuff that they even how the teachers interface with us versus the darker skinned kids. We saw it in high school blatantly. There was this guy named Mr. Koenig who was a, a drafting teacher that your mom and I uh, shared in high school as a freshman. How he interfaced with us, your mom and I, differently than he interfaced with the the darker skinned uh, people in school. I mean, he was blatant about it. He, he even he even fell them all at one point. He gave them all Fs and gave your mom and I, what, A's and B's or whatever. At A, you had to be. You know, I never got a B in this school, so I'm just letting you know. Yeah, you do. I'm just letting you know. I never got a B. Okay. <laughs> but anyway. <laughs> I mean, Mom, we, um, hold on, hold on. I mean, it's refreshing. Mom, we haven't really heard from you tonight. Uh, I want to know how you feel about this. Oh, <laughs> honest and truly, Garrett, it is, it is so obvious sometimes, you know, even in situations when I just go out somewhere and how I'm treated. And I think because a lot of times they do believe that I am, um, I've got a lot of white in me, you know, and they, it's, it's almost like, okay, it's, <sighs> they're not like dad was just talking about the one drop. They know that I'm black and that there's black in there, but there's still that light skin actually just makes it a little bit hard, a little more difficult for them to be 
show their whiteness, you know, as, as if that, you know, like your friend Erica was saying, they are going to be a little bit more rude. And it also depends on how you, that dark skinned person actually responds to that. Cause if you, you know, are coming back at them, you know, with that attitude, then basically you've just pretty much in their minds proven, yep, I'm right. They're, you know, they're, they're the horrible ones, which is not true. So you got to basically kill them with kindness. And as far as that teacher, yes, I got the A, dad got the B. <laughs> she really wants to believe that. That was the only time. And he did. He flunked the entire class. But we do have stereotypes that as a black person, I can agree with. Like, it's not racist if I'm saying this about, you know, against my own people because I am my own people. But there are certain conditions and there are certain traits that we carry that make it a little bit easier for us to target when we're talking about dark skins versus light skins and all that, right? So, like, example, here, right here in Midtown, surrounded by the 1%, a little restaurant called Victory, a black-owned, is the only restaurant in Midtown where I have to get checked for a gun, to sit down i hate that i hate that stigma about us every other restaurant we go to in midtown you, you it's a regular restaurant you tell the person who's supposed to host this hi we have a party of three and we'd like to make a reservation for seven or whenever you go to victory before you can even walk in you have to get patted down to see if you have a gun or any other thing on you that you could possibly inflict, inflict harm on another person and most of the people that go to that restaurant are Darchin or a black? Talk to me about that. I'm a little confused what how that ties back to the conversation around colorism. What are you what are you confused about? How does this tie back to the conversation around colorism? Like how I just, do you I just as a light skinned black man walking in there is different from a dark skinned but black actually he just said there? actually all you say every black person that walks in gets patted down. It's the white people that don't get patted down, whether no. you like or black. No, I'm like connecting. Black. I'm connecting the original point about colorism to the point you just made, Mom, about how you feel walking around versus black versus white versus licensing versus dark skin. And I'm connecting all of those dots, saying part of the part of the one of the points that you made about you know the stereotypes of like no, we're not all bad, this and that, which is the reason why certain, you know, colorism traits are a thing. And I'm saying that, you know, part of this whole colorism thing is there are specific and certain types of stereotypes that me talking against my people, I think are valid and real. So, and but when you go, but let me finish. When you go into the restaurant, which is black owned, are they patting everybody down or just all of the black people, whether they're light or dark? They're patting everyone down. But the fact that they have to pat people down for this restaurant that's on the same block as a restaurant that's a four star Michelin restaurant makes no sense to me. And I think further is pushing our stereotype of black people don't know how to act in public. So I think what has me confused. OK, so because I think this is now a separate conversation or a separate topic because the colorism to me is using the example of the restaurant and going in and everybody's being patted down and like going back to the, the comment about stereotypes, like colorism is the stereotype of dark skin, black people being more animalistic and not being considered as human because they were further away from the house, literally, or like further away from 
literally NASA in the house. I think that's that was a separate conversation. And then now we're moving on to just like overall stereotypes about the black community and not just the difference between the stereotypes between dark skin and light skin. No, you can, I think those two are one and the same. I think the colorism point you just made and also stereotypes. Stereotypes of colorism come stem from like the antebellum era, like from slavery. And I don't think that any of the, because I think there's a difference between their stereotypes for a reason because they are rooted in truth. So like the reason why black people are stereotyped as eating watermelon and fried chicken is because those are the, like the scrap foods that we were able to get and we were able to fry and make taste good when we didn't have anything else and watermelons were to bread. Versus colorism is the stereotype of colorism is rooted in this racist institution of slavery and how like the darker you are, the further away from humanity you're seen and the lower, like basically the more of a slave you're seen as versus if you're lighter skin, that meant that like somewhere, one of the white people violated a black woman and you ended up mixing more and more and like you have some white lineage in you and you're probably in the house but so i think it's like there's a difference between well could there's... it be that okay so but let's ask you about the guy in here that owns the restaurant do you think mm-hmm. that maybe you know he has been burnt a few times by his own people you know and that and he's at that point now where he doesn't trust them or just black people, because he said they pat down everybody, not no. all black people. Wait, I'm confused. I thought he said all the black people. No, mom, you keep saying that. I didn't say that. I said all people. Ah, well, I don't know. Maybe he's had some issues or something. <laughs> That's the point. Like, most of the black people that come to Midtown to eat dinner go to Victory and if that's the only place where we have to get patted down because black people are more prone to inflict harm on others while they're eating, that's a problem to me in the black community because that's the truth. There are a lot of guys that are, if they're not getting patted down, are bringing their guns in victory. That's just what it is amongst black people. We're also, that restaurant is also the loudest. It is the most ghetto. It is the most like crazy restaurant in all of Midtown. And I just want to know, and yes, I think now, Taylor, I'm definitely stepping away from colorism and moving more into like stereotypes and in the black community and also just an observation because like I'm just making an observation of like walking around this place. I just don't get it. And I always feel like as a black community and how we struggle with colorism and how we struggle with being the minority in America and all that, maybe I'm bringing all the pieces together here, but why is it that we still have to act the way that they all envision us to act. If that makes sense. It's a good question to ask some people, because if you yeah. go, you go into the inner city and you, you tell me get patted down. I mean, the, the, some of these places in the inner city where you go, I mean, there's a two inch thick uh, uh, bulletproof glass and all that stuff all put up. Yeah, every rallies it, I've ever been to. You, you know, into the, in, in, and that's right inside the community because they, they understand the experience. So why do we act the way that seems to validate what you know? Why? Yeah. Yes. I, I will be honest with you. It it it's 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 a crazy thing. I don't know what it is. I don't know why uh, we do that. I don't know. I don't know so, what it is. I think there's. I'm trying to remember her name. Um, she's got a little mini mouse voice, and she's so cute. Oh, well, I can't remember her okay, name. But, but she was doing this. Okay, but what? Uh-huh. She was doing this study talking about. Of where a lot of the stereotypes of the black community came from 
and how a lot of it has to do with culturally the things we brought over from our whatever cultures we came from on the continent bringing this to the u.s having it filtered through this lens of slavery and then throughout the years how it's just been disseminated through us our interaction of living in kind of as oppressed people within the country and then she was talking about how like now you see this is the trickle down effect of a lot of the stereotypes about our culture as a whole of why we're associated with body behavior or like loudness. And it's like, that's something that culturally came from a lot of like, when you look at the Igbo tribe or when you look at um, like the Asante, how they communicate with each other. And it's like, you talk over each other and you're loud and that's their form, like that's their social communication and that's their cultural connection. And that's the stuff that we've brought over, but it's been perceived as different and other and as rough or as thuggish. And like now that's just kind of crystallized into what black culture is today. So I think that's kind of one thing where a lot of it starts from is like there, if you trace all of these back, there's like a kernel way back at the beginning of the original culture we came from, wherever we came from on the motherland. Then I also think too, when you go and <laughs> break down having to live as this oppressed people, especially like if we want to start from Jim Crow era until now, and having to see how are you able to make money legally? How are you able to take care of your family? How are you able to just live a life if all the odds are stacked against you and you're not given equal access to housing, you're not given equal access to education, you're not given equal access to jobs or just opportunity in general? And then how are you going to act? Like, what are you going to do? And you're going to do whatever you can to get by. And then that kind of has percolated down into our culture today of like, this is, we just have the attitude of like, get what you can, however you can, because we've had to. And it starts becomes like a defense mechanism. When you try to do it the right way or the legal way, they still, you know, think of, uh, like what was it, in Oklahoma, you know, minding your own business. They're still going to come after you because they don't want to see you doing better. Or so you see the sad part well, about the majority but some place able to get way, away with this. I know, but some yeah. place, place is the only way. We need to transition ourselves. We do. Yes. yes. Validating and stop validating through our behavior, uh, you know, what people think. It's not about I, I'll validating. Give you, I'll give you guys, I'll give you guys, hold on, let me finish. I'll give you guys a, a most recent example. I gave a young black man an opportunity, you know, at work. I, he was... This was back in December. I saw him out there. He was working temporary, guarding the uh, construction gate. And I was out walking and talked to him. Thought he was a very pleasant young guy and stuff, you know. And I and I thought, hey, we need another guard, you know. And the kid called his mom. Was all excited. We hired a kid in the first week. He didn't get through a week and a half because this kid brought his mouth and it and, and his yeah, attitude to work. He belligerent, profanity. And he was called to come in to. To work on the weekends, which is what all our security guys do when you know it's neat. He was belligerent, and I thought to myself, "Damn, you just had I, an I, gave you, I gave you an opportunity, and then you brought this shit into the office. Why? Why?" Why is the question? And he, had, and he never had medical insurance. He told me never had a steady job, and I gave him the opportunity, and so and he just screwed it up. And now we're doing the same thing for another uh, guy who's taking the job. And he's working out. We even have him pulled up in a hotel because his girlfriend kicked him off. But that one guy. But how do we? How do we get? How do we get an understanding? Do we go back and that young man that actually just messed it up? Do we go back and talk to him and say, "Hey, you know what? What 
what made you, you know, have the, the visceral reaction that you did so to like actually what if it was a mental health or, episode? You know, no, or, I don't. No, this was not mental health. Because mental health, too many people use that as the as the scapegoat. It's not this whoa. Negro no, came okay, and brought okay. and brought well, the, the okay, so crap to Before the you cut me off, before the point I was trying to make is about validating, continuing to validate the stereotypes. My point is that we have to, in order for us to move past it and be able to dismantle it, we have to understand where those stereotypes came from. Oh, we know that, but we know that. We know that already. We know where the stereotypes came from, and we still choose to act this way. There's a lot of things that have been said in the last so, 56 he, minutes that we all know about. I know, but he was, so, he was so proud when he told his mother that a black man was running this business and and was, and was gave him an opportunity. And then even when we're uh, far enough, uh, he said, I want to talk to Mark, you know, because this is Karen. Karen is my director of HR. He's like, I want to talk to Mark. Like, like miraculously, I'm going to overturn the decision that I made because he saw this white woman tell him, hey, you know, we, you know, we're done. We can't. This is not who we are and stuff like that. And he thought, I want to talk to Mark because, you know, like I'm going to overturn. It's like, Negro, no, you're not. I'm the one who gave the decision. Right. I'm going to be more harsh on you than anybody else because because I stepped up thinking that I'm trying to help us out and you brought in that crap. So that's the that, stuff that gets me. asking, how do we fix that? Is what I'm asking. I, I don't know how to fix it. And then that's what saying, yeah. what if? Like I was bringing I up- have a suggestion on how we fix it, mom. I think it starts with the family and that's the most obvious part of the answer. But in the family, in the black family, like what are their narratives that we need to start changing now? Yes, I. that's so true, Taylor, that a lot of the things and ways we act are brought over from Africa originally during slavery and all that, such as watermelon and, you know, certain types of foods because those were the only foods available, you know, and then the way we dress is because, you know, we were the ones that were given clothes last and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. We, I definitely understand and we get that. But to the first point we started off on this conversation of being plugged into technology, plugged online, having more access to information now more than ever, like even in ghettos and black communities and uh, you know underprivileged communities everyone still has a smartphone that's just commonality nowadays everyone has access to the internet and social media they know what's right they know what's wrong but yet we still choose to act wrong so i think part of the solution in the family is to physically change and mentally change the narratives of how you raise your children i think black folks are still raising their children to be ghetto and be loud and be disruptive and and mean to others like i think we need to be changing the narrative around that we also eat sir hold on 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 hold on, hold on, hold on. Mom talk that much garrett you said i know but I'm, I'm just trying to finish my point and then and then plus also on top of that is like about what we eat too like black folks eating very high in sodium fried foods and all these things like that's part of the narrative changing that too the way we dress very loud you know very rump you know maybe sagging the clothes or whatever it is like we have to change that as well so i'm saying it takes the family which is the obvious answer again but what are the narratives that we're changing within the family when we're raising the uh, the kids so go ahead mom so i'm asking so the family how do we do that which gen i mean are we going after the generation now or are we going after like the young man that dad tried to hire do we go after his his mom or is it too late for the mom and go after him and say, hey, you know, so that he doesn't repeat it with whatever child he may end up having or you know, or not having, but he may, 
which generation are we going to basically go after and how do we actually get to them so that they understand? The, the children are the future always. You, like, unfortunately, telling our grandparents, changing the generations that our grandparents are right now aren't, aren't going to do too much. That's just not productive. The children will always be the future. But I think you target the younger parents, the, the ones that are either on the cusp of having children versus, and plus also those that have most recently had children. And you one, that's the target market. You're going to target them. And then the how do you do this in the family? I, I think it's by actions, right? Like we all say it's, oh, it's corny to see like, you know, black guys wear suits and all that. You know, we'd rather see rappers and all that. It's, it's the things that we're, that we're subconsciously doing every day that's defining the way we are raised in black so communities with rap are, like what like i okay so to answer your question my first inclination would be therapy for everybody because i was watching this guy the other day and he made a really good point because he's like i he he and his family they're dark-skinned black family husband wife two kids and he regularly will take his like three-year-old daughter and just walk around his neighborhood because they moved into the suburb. And he's like, honestly, he's like the first time I did this walk around, I had a couple police officers or like security people from the neighborhood approach me because they see me walk around in my basketball shorts, my wife beater and my, like what do you call it, the basketball sneakers and socks. And then they see my little daughter and they just kind of peg me as ghetto and peg me this way. But he's like, the more I walked and like the more my neighbors got to know me, he's like, they kind of understood what we're about. But he made this really good comment because he's talking about like, you, like we need to get over our trauma in order to be able to raise our kids. Because he's like a lot of what, because he's actually a trained psychologist was within his whole point. Like, he's like, I look ghetto as fuck, but my, I have a PhD in psychology. And he was talking about a lot of what goes into raising kids is the trauma that we bring from our own generation, from our own like shit that we grew up in, the society we grew up in, and also our own household and like what we grew up in. And he's like, especially in the black community, and he was talking about specifically black fathers. He's like, we need to not take in our trauma into our situation, our dealings with our kids, because just because we were hurt doesn't mean we need to be continuing to hurt them. And he's like, that's what will move forward. So that's I think, a great answer. So for me, I'm like, I think therapy, because I think there's a lot of like I'm I, why I keep bringing back like the generational shit and like going all the way back to like how stuff got started and like having that understanding. I think there's so much that we kind of carry on our backs and like even subconsciously, even when we walk out the doors, even for black people that have never overtly experienced racism, but they still have to deal with living in this country as in, under the black experience. There are so many things that weigh you down and then the structure of our families of how, because of like industrial prison complex and how black men were getting incarcerated at just like astronomical rates compared to any other demographic. And you're not seeing as many black men in the homes. And it's like, how does that carry into the next generation? So I would, I would say like therapy for everybody, but then that goes back to the greater issue of like just healthcare for everybody so that everyone has access. Cause therapy right now is only accessible to people with insurance or money and something that should be accessible, like the people who or need you it the just most. Change topic. I didn't change topics. I'm answering the question. Like you said, therapy for everybody. That's your answer. But now you're talking, you're talking about healthcare for I'm everybody. I'm not. But okay, you can't just say that. It's just like 
you can't say, oh, we need to change families. Oh, no, you're, you're the one who said no, no, but therapy answering, for everybody. That's why I'm answering your question. But you can't just say therapy for everybody because therapy isn't accessible for everybody right now. Okay, I know, I know but um, but your answer to the question is therapy. If, yes. if th in, theory, what I'm talking about in theory, if that was possible, but that would be your answer, right? But what, and then what I'm saying is okay. there's never just, it's not a binary, it's not black or white. So when you're fixing things, you need to fix the systems behind them. I, I so know, therapy, I, I say, is the answer, but I, the system I know, behind but it I, I think allow. I think we were just looking for the answer. We were, but when you you expand on points, we let you talk and we let you roll with it. But then when we try and expand on points, you keep cutting us off. I mean, I'm good. I haven't been cut off. I, I'm not I think talking you good. I'm talking about like, okay. So that's my answer, and like that's why I gave that because I can't just say therapy point blank because so, that would be very privileged. I'm, I'm not trying to cut you off, but Garrett, you can't see what just actually went on over here, and 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 it needs to be recorded. Dad was quiet because he was running through his phone. I think it has something to do with work or something, and it was preoccupying him elsewhere. So that's why there was never a cutoff when Taylor was talking, or myself. But then once he put his phone down and he's re-engaged, and I'm not saying that it's a bad thing because this is a conversation. The whole time. But you notice that he was quiet for a minute there. But that was only because he talked about the generation and their technology and their phones. This phone all of a sudden became his new best friend. No, I was doing my BMW M850 uh, survey. That's really what I was doing. And that was more important than the family podcast. I was giving you guys a chance to talk. Oh, see what I'm saying? I gave so you a chance to so talk. he can't engage with not talking talk. unless he's I think we call it multitasking. No, I think I think that's an excellent observation, Dad. That possibly when you're done talking to Okay. Oh, you walk away. You're like, I'm going to watch TV now. So drop the mic. But then down later on, when you're asking is. questions like, oh, like, talking to my children. It's like, well, if you had stayed for the rest of the conversation, when you were done talking, you would have known. So that's why your father was quiet there for a minute. So, yeah. Think, that's, that's a good observation, Mom. Yeah. Oh, Mom, speak up. Because you haven't really said much. So I was like, let her talk. But the but thing you have is, to be you have to be listening. engaged. Don't just check out when everybody else starts talking. Ears are listening. I so, I got <laughs> and they can all work independent of each other. So, <laughs> so you can asking questions later on. It's like, <laughs> you were there. You were there. All five you, you talk about this whole, completely like, if you ask me one more time about visitor agency, Garrett, dad almost threw away my tax information for my company. I don't, I, I don't know. For the last year that I've been living here, I have told this man over and over again, I'm like, visitor agency. If you see any mail that comes in from them, that is my company. That was the first thing she said when she did the LLC. You need to put it up on that fridge. But it's been a year. Every time you get mail, we have the same conversation. And it's been a year. So that means that we're going to have that conversation into the future. like, it's tax season, too. Don't throw away anything. put it up on that fridge. So, yeah. I think. There's a lot to be done. There's a there's a lot of different ways that I think we can go about doing it. Communication is huge. And to be able to communicate, we need to actually be able to go out and actually talk to the young people, this new generation. And and unfortunate with us being in the middle of a pandemic right now, that's a hindrance for our uh, our race of people because we are the ones that are being hit. I mean, just People of color it's, in general. It's, yeah, it it's really, I mean, and and that's just it. It seems like we always get like five steps forward and then we go back 10 steps 
or we get two steps forward and we react 15 steps. It's mm -hmm. like, at what point can we just, you know, literally get a break where we, we can just get things going and keep the momentum? That's up to us. We choose that and we choose violence and we choose negativity over the alternative. Like, yeah, you're right. We had great momentum and stride during Black Lives Matter and, you know, some black folks unfortunately having to lose their lives to police in order for a lot more black folks to wake up and read a little bit more about this or understand how we've been oppressed but then as the momentum around that starts to die down you start to hear more about you know gang violence and black on black i shouldn't say black on black crime because it's just crime but you start to hear a lot more about you know black folks killing and looting and doing the wrong things towards other black folks now that this whole momentum around you know us banding together so i feel you we always do take two steps forward at or three steps forward and you know so many steps backwards and that's yeah. part of the reason why i'm saying like we have information at our fingertips we know what's right we know what's wrong but we still actively choose wrong why is it comfortable is it easier that's the why I want to know. Why do we still choose to act? I, I, I don't think it's a choice. I, it is a choice. I think it is a choice. I think it is a choice. I think I think in some cases, because I've seen it in our own family, where we use the crutch of oppression and racism as a justification, not even justification, a rationalization for the behavior that has been exhibited. I've seen it with some of my cousins and they've said it. And I look at it and I've listened to them and I think, how oh, is that? You know, in that moment when you decide to do that dumb shit that you want to now rationalize it back to that because you made a conscious decision at that moment. You are, you are a capable person to make a decision. I know you are because I grew up with you uh, and stuff. And then when you do the dumb shit, you want to go back and say, oh, you know, it's because of the oppression I've had. Damn impression. You got you got beat just as much as I did by the same people, you know, that, that beat me, didn't do any more damage to me than it did to you. You just made a conscious decision. My thing is, I'm not saying this is universally true in the black community, but until we're willing to take some responsibility and a level of accountability for our own actions and decisions, we're never going to get better as a race, in my opinion. And I think that's a weakness in our uh, I think it's a weakness that we need to address is is step up to the plate and have some accountability for some of the dumb dumb shit decisions we make along the way because we do as a people make dumb dumb shit decisions every decision we make is not predicated on some historical basis sometimes we just make dumb shit decisions that i agree i agree with that off what you said though because for us to take that accountability i don't think everybody has either the education level, the emotional intelligence level to have that like skills to be able to communicate that. And that's why I think that therapy is something that every black person needs for us to move forward. But your reaction to the mental health thing kind of gets back to how our black community is about mental health overall. No, it's, not, it's not about uh, no, how black communities no, mental no, health. I just I just okay, but, I just see I just see and I listen around me that mental health has become the buzz answer to everything. You know, that's what, and that's what gets me is like now, it, you know, in the last year, two years or three years, all of a sudden mental health is the reason for everything. And I think it's bullshit. No, it's not the reason for everything. It's just people have finally opened the door to having this conversation and treating mental health like physical health. Like for years, we talk about cancer. We've talked about breaking your leg. And mental health. We're talking about, yeah. And it's like 
you don't say like, oh shit, everybody's blaming physical health and ailments and illnesses. We're just finally getting to that point where we're able to have a conversation around mental health. But why I bring it up is just saying that I think a lot of that accountability comes from being able to one, have the emotional intelligence to read yourself and read your behavior and then see the consequences of it. And not everybody was afforded the, the education or even the childhood to learn those skills. So I think that's something that like, therapy isn't just about fixing mental health problems. It's but also learning how to communicate and how to have these have these type of conversations or be able to, you know, understand how to communicate your thoughts and feelings or how but to here's the question hold yourself for you, Mark. Is like for your family members that you know, you know, were mentally uh, in need of some therapy or some help, whatever. So, and were, was it ever, a, I mean, had it ever occurred to anybody, how do you get them, you know, some help when you know that they need help? No one ever did. And so that was that one cycle that was never broken. Yeah, no, one, it, no one, I agree. No one ever, yeah, I mean, you mean, you know, I, I think of like Oscar Lee and Snack <laughs> and Fuzzy. They all have mental issues. They all have mental issues. And, and their kids have mental issues today, to this day, uh, that has, that continues to propagate. And I agree. <laughs> Back then, how to get them help? Frankly speaking, no one even knew anything about mental, you know, welfare. Back said. then, I, I'm not disagreeing with him, but I'm just saying that today, what I hear around me that mental health becomes the answer has become the answer for everything. It seems like, and, and I'm thinking, mm, I, I know we all got our issues and stuff, and yet we need to be able to address those issues. But man, it can't be the answer everything today it just but can't don't think of mental health as a crutch like it's not like people are using it to say like oh like everything in my life is well they do uh it's, it's the first it has become the most powerful defense in the courts today particularly for white people There's some that has always been the case yeah uh, uh, no 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 but in the past in the past in the past in the past they didn't need mental health they just had a white jury and let them go now, mental health is being used as a way, as a gateway to get off of crime, right? Yeah, but, so, but that's not the point we're making here because white people can exist on their own lanes. We don't get to live in those lanes. What I'm talking about as far as mental health is, I don't think it's like having that knee jerk reaction about me mental health and saying that it's like seems like everybody's using it as a crutch. It's like, to be honest, every most everybody during their life is going to get a splinter or is going to break their leg or is going to have some sort of physical illness. Mental health is the same exact way. Most everybody in their life is going to have some sort of, sort of dealings Depression, with mental health. Something's going to happen. It's a part of yeah. everybody's yeah. human experience. And because we're just starting to talk but, about but, but it. See, it's see, not... see, to me, I don't, I don't see that as a, as, a, as a separate event. It is just the experience of, of living. That's all it is. But everybody's not yeah, able but to I'm just actually reacting deal to with it. Before, you know, yeah. no, everybody's not able to actually... Everybody reacts to it different, just I, like I, I some people, agree. you know, have a very high pain tolerance and some have just like, you know. I, I do get I do get it. And I really so do get it. All, all I'm saying is, all I'm saying is, is that back to the original question, and in my opinion, until we're willing to step up to the plate and have some level of accountability, which I understand you're saying that maybe therapy will help people to gain access to be able to have that level. But until we can do that, we're stuck in quagmire. We are. Right. Because you had the opportunity to 
maybe talk to the young black kid when he said, I want to talk to Mark. I would have never talked to him. To to I, was, I, I was done. I washed my hands. I would have never talked to him for him that opportunity to think because black, black, he gets an opportunity to have a conversation with him. I would have never talked to him. I would have started a conversation with him. No, 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 no. He predicated that comment on the fact that I was black. That was the only reason he wanted to talk to me. And so, and that I would never allow to happen. You know, you, you like everybody else, did some dumb shit, you lost your job. This is where you and I differ on this. The reason you gave him the job is because he was black. And you predicated on the fact that I'm going to actually hand him true. from one black man to another, That's right? True. So then when that one young kid who actually did some dumb stuff, this was the opportunity for the uh, more mature guy to come in and say, hey, Here's the reason why, and this is what happened, and so forth. So moving forward, because you you don't have a job here. You, let me finish what I'm saying. You do not have a job here anymore because, first of all, I went out on a limb to help you out, right? And then this is how you repay me. So moving forward, this is what you might could want have, to Could have had a conversation like that if he did not disrespect my director of HR and, and and use her color in that conversation against her without her realizing and stuff because he he completely disrespected her and said I don't want to talk to you I only want to talk to Mark if it wasn't for that level of disrespect maybe I would have been willing to have the conversation with him but he disrespected her because it was a white woman who gave him the news that or it that, could have been he didn't want to talk to her because you were actually she's the, one. the director of HR who owns everybody and her job and this is her job but he doesn't get to choose but he doesn't get can to choose. I finish what I'm saying so I think but, accountability goes hand in hand with empathy but the person that actually of, does normally does the security hiring is Jay not you but you were the one that brought it to no but 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 hold on hold on hold on let's just be quick I'm trying to get the hiring process just let's get the whole thing the manager's Typically, are the ones that are making recommendations, but ultimately, HR hires everybody right? at the end of the day. I just made a recommendation, and of course, me making a recommendation means that they're going to go. I'm telling you, this young brother did what he did because she was a white woman who delivered. The I, I totally understand what yeah, you're saying. I, I if he understood the first time you said it. If he, if he, if he <laughs> respectful, I may have been willing to have a little conversation with him. Uh, so, he wasn't. He was completely disrespectful because he didn't want to hear the news from a lot. Even though he did the dumb shit. So I think back to accountability. I think the accountability, like I was saying, goes hand in hand with everything. Because if you're saying you go to apologize or like you're trying to own up to your own shit, if the other person won't even like if you can't won't meet you and like let you say that and let you like let you get it out to them, then you just never move past that. So I think it also like he never he had no intention. I'm, we're not saying okay. We don't know but what you're his doing. An assumption, and you're never going to allow him to grow. That's why there were three conversations okay. with him. There were three conversations. Okay, so your story was, just keeps getting bigger and bigger no, with more information. More. So, I mean, you're giving us I know, snippets so, at so, a time. So we're based on what we know in this moment. So I can give you the whole story, but there were three separate conversations from three mm -hmm. separate people, and never once did he apologize. Never was, and not only not only that, that the short time that he was in the office, you know, around his use of profanity around the other security guys, because they're the ones who actually personal work. Said, "Hey, this guy, all he does is MF this, this, and that." That's all he says. They were the ones who actually had the first alert. 
as up. It was back with and he got the phone call coming on Saturday. And then he goes teetotal off. But they knew up to that point, the other security guys who worked with him, like, hey, this guy is something just not right. He was just going, he was, he was an excessive defense. There were three separate conversations, and not once was there an apology at all. Three different people, I'm thinking. But my point isn't about the apology. Like I was saying, like, empathy and, like, if you're going to hold yourself accountable and working towards accountability within our community. In that example specifically, I just bring that up because who knows what could have gone on, but just with the circumstances of how he was hired or how you communicated with he was hired and him asking for you, like he was in the wrong, clearly, but I can also understand him asking for the I've done why they don't work like that. Agencies where I'm like, there is my jobs where I'm like, there are things that if I'm uncomfortable, and my like someone who's white who's in a position of power sitting in the room with me, I will ask for the next black person who's in a position of power that I can communicate with you. Because I know certain things will be retaliated back against me if I say something in terms of like this black person. That was just my I think that's just we don't know where he was from. Uh, he was but, probably but what he has going to, through his own what, stuff. But, but, but what he has to understand, what he didn't understand is that the CEO of the, of the company, not where I, it's just not the way it works. It's just not the way to work. I cannot become just. Is it a not the way it works because of that's how the system has been in the past, no, or because no, you just, don't want? Because it, to be it can't be. I can't be judge, jury, and executioner for all eight hundred people. That can't be my role. That's Karen's role. That can't be my role. My role is to run the company and to guide the company. My role is not to deal with every little HR issue for every eight hundred plus employees. We're not saying that. But that's no, not, we never said that. No, no, but that's, 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 what he, and that's what he didn't quite understand. I, I did a favor, but that doesn't mean that that favor means that we're going to have a personal relationship. I just did you a favor. All I did, but I'm not there to deal with every little HR issue you may have. That's not my job. That's not that's Karen's job, you know, at the end of the day. Uh, so that's just kind of how it works. Now, there are some people I, I actively get involved in their lives on stuff. You know, and Karen's probably right that I probably shouldn't do it. We just did it recently here in the last week, your mom and I. That's out to bail out a, a gentleman uh, who works in the office because he's, he's got a lot of medical expense and, and stuff. He works in the front office. Super nice guy. And your mom and I, you know, gave him $3,000 so he can make his mortgage payment and his car payment for this month. You know, Karen probably would say, Mark, you got to stop doing stuff like that. So sometimes I do get involved because I, I feel personally attached, you know. So that's and, what I'm saying. In this case, you chose not to. Because I didn't feel personally attached. Uh, attached Mine didn't even know the guy. And so I just did him a favor. The other the other cases in my office are people that I spent time with for the last year, two years, three years, have built a relationship. And that's why, you know, I did things. And he's a person. There's been other people. This guy here is just, he just, he just, he made a dumb, he made a dumb mistake. He, he really did. He made a dumb mistake on an opportunity. And to be honest with you, in a way, I'm kind of glad he kind of showed his colors now because he, what we saw is who he really is, at least at this moment in his life cycle. This is who he is. You know, so, and I gave him an opportunity that maybe could change him. Yet, let me give you another story. So we went back, and Ivy wasn't even involved. Then Jay goes and hired another young black guy and stuff who came down from Texarkana or Arkansas, a little small town. Him and his girlfriend and his girlfriend car, and they were living in a little apartment. And Jay found them 
and gave him a job to be the security. This gave him the job that this other guy gave up, right? Right. Then his girlfriend, you know, kicks him out. We don't know why, but we suspect that she just found another guy since she's from a small town now. She came to Houston, kicked him out. Then we found that he was sleeping in the car for like two days, right? Jay, you know, found that out and gave me a call. And next thing you know, we put him into the hotel up the street, you know, because he gets his, you know, uh, his IRS check, his his tax, his tax check in three weeks, and and then he'll be getting some payrolls from us. The thing. So you know, we foot the bill. Then his girlfriend takes her car back. That's tough, right? So then the other security guys, because they like him, everybody had nothing but positive things, very pleasant stuff. Mm-hmm. So everybody stepped up and said, "Okay, we'll pick you up from the hotel, take you back and forth, brought groceries." You know, and you know, and here we are, we're engaged again, helping a, another young man, and yet his response is diametrically opposite than his other guy. And so this guy has been like super pleasant. He's he's come in, he's thanked everybody. He said, I really appreciate you guys' help. I see him around, you know, walking around and I'm doing his security thing. This guy is super appreciative. And so from this little small town, and so and all he's trying to do is just you know, make a way, and yet his response is different, and the help that is being given to him. Unlike the other guy, whose situation didn't appear extreme because he was living at home with his mom and stuff. He didn't get kicked out and living in a car and all that other jazz. Two different, for the same job. It's an interesting thing. Same job, two different people, and completely different responses. And the young man that we're doing the help for him, he's from some little small town up in Arkansas. You know, came down here to the big city looking for, and he is working out. So. So, that so whether was- you like it or not, I think Taylor's like Taylor's point is correct. Like the guy who obviously made the wrong decision and then made another wrong decision by the way he handled his first wrong decision. Like there could be things that this man is not mentally capable of or has been taught, and that's also part of therapy. I think you're right, Dad. That that's that is the buzz term right now is mental health, mental health. But I think there is a reason for that because it's time to uncap a lot of the things we needed to talk about and learn about mental health. And I think mental health is not just one catch all. I think there are certain niches and subjects and focuses within mental health that Taylor's probably speaking about that could possibly help this young gentleman out. I'm sure if he had had, if he had had, if he had, if he had, I would agree with you guys. I, I think there's probably something mentally unbalanced about that young guy i wouldn't be surprised and it's like it just makes me think a little bit of respectability politics too because it kind of reminds me of well that's 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 a bit different like you don't you know, have to like i'm not but what i'm just saying is like it just reminds me of like when i was in middle school and it was me and then there was not middle school high school sorry me and there's this other black girl and we go up to the teacher to ask a question and she like grew up in the city of st louis like she does not code switch at all she's got like the deepest accent and like she's your stereotypical ghetto black girl and so she asked the teacher a question she's a lot more direct and intense i go up and i'm asking I'm like oh you know thank you very much like i appreciate blah blah, blah. like i'm coach switching the hell out of it and speaking the teacher's language of appreciation rather than my own and the teacher receives me a lot better than that other person so i think that's not your example because like we don't know what's going on in that guy's life who who knows that's done and over with but it also makes me think about how we, the standard that we treat things to and like how we receive information, like how you're saying the guy was very nice and appreciative and thanked you. And it's like, there's everybody has different versions of thanking and appreciation and showing 
their gratitude. So it's like, it makes me think of like how we even receive things. Like if someone like, um, I don't know, if someone like a Megan Thee Stallion, since you know her, says something to you versus someone like a, a Michelle Obama, your probably first reaction is going to be that like Michelle Obama is the more respectable one and like she's the more professional and put together and like she's like more appreciative because she speaks in the specific language that we've established as gratitude versus understanding that multiple different communities and cultures have different ways of expressing that. I think me, this all goes back to and like with the black community, like the conversation we've been having is I don't think we need to homogenize culture and like we don't need to, black people don't need to fix ourselves to course correct to go back towards white society's form of communication. About the one drop and the lady who said that there's like about three different languages that we speak. It kind of goes know. back to that. Uh, the, the languages, that young yeah. man probably doesn't realize that when he's in that environment away from home, you you're not, yeah, you're not supposed to speak the same way you would, you know, in your because I'm not your friend. So he didn't get the memo that there's three different languages that you're supposed but to speak. But that was kind of opposite point I made. The point Tell, I made, yeah, we shouldn't have to have different, like, I know we shouldn't, but I'm not saying, but okay, we should not have to ever change our language. So what we call abonics or like AEV, we should never have to, like that should be seen as just as equally appreciative and professional as speaking like a white person would or white people's English. Like we need to get to the point where we're able, I think part of what will it help too It won't ever happen unless you start, unless you are controlling, it put yourself in a position of control in the environment that, 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 that you find yourself in. If you're not the person who's in control, then the, yeah, I'm then, looking at you, man, in control. That's why we're having I know, this conversation. But, but, but I would never let anybody speak that way. No, we're not talking about. I'm just saying, but, we're talking about. Uh, I know, but I'm just saying. But that's what it requires: it, the, the the person or group that controls the atmosphere in which you exist in defines. The, so we know all that because we live this every day, Dad. Right. My point is, I think that's one of the things too that would also to the point that we're talking about, like the black stereotypes and. Like why are things going wrong is like what if society wasn't through just a white lens like what if we get to a point where culturally societally policy wise it accounts for all these different types of cultures all these different ways that people communicate all these different ways that we connect with different people what if it all of it becomes sounds like normal? your fur alarm yeah sorry right. i don't it, it i gotta happen. i gotta go use the bathroom guys Okay, so we're an hour and a half, it looks like. Wait, just go use the bathroom and come back. There's one last topic we're going to talk about. Go use the bathroom and you can come back. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> yeah, he's he's fatigued. He definitely doesn't want to come back. No. What's the last topic? What's the word? I'll be right back. The last topic is the foundation. Um, I, oh, I, that I needs to be a, no, that's yeah, a whole that's a whole day. another day, Gary. Because that one, we yeah, we'll have that's to have him. Yeah, and how to and and. So I say, let's shoot for. Um, I mean, if that's the case, then you guys need to come prepared. I I feel like I'm ready. You guys always say you're ready, but then have nothing to talk about. We just had a whole hour and a half to talk about this. We're just talking about the foundation is a topic all on its own. Like if we should do, if we do the foundation as a conversation starter, that should just be its own episode. 
And that's not right now because we've already filmed an hour and a half of this first one. Okay. Okay, so, so okay, so let's end this one with the next one will definitely be on one topic, which would be the foundation versus trying to put that in and then just kind of like I don't partial. I disagree though. I like that's I think this podcast is called Sunday Dinner for a reason. The, like it's supposed to just be whatever you want to talk about. I don't think we need to dedicate a podcast about the foundation. We can just literally pick up the phone and talk about the foundation. Then let's do that. Then we won't start out talking about the foundation because that'll take up a bulk of the conversation. But right now, if you guys want to end the podcast, just say that we can end it. (laughs) That's what we said at the beginning of this. And then it felt like we had to justify why we're like, not now, let's do it later because we've already been running so long for this one. And then you're like, no, like, let's talk about it now. And then that's why we started explaining ourselves. Oh, we can end it. Great podcast. I just, dad went to the bathroom, didn't know he was coming back. So it sounds like you guys are all wanting to end this podcast. So that leaves us at almost two hours. Uh, Actually, no, 30 minutes removed from two hours. Um, Yeah, that's episode one. I guess every Sunday we'll do this and you guys can bring whatever ideas you want to talk about and it'll be the same format, just whatever you want to talk about, we'll talk about it. So what's the best time? Like seven o'clock? I mean, dad's the one who proposed this time and uh-huh. y'all were 30 minutes late. So y'all tell me when you guys want to do it on Sundays and I'm down. Well, you weren't. You, 6.30. 6.30. It was early. You guys, you guys said, said six o'clock said, central time. That's seven o'clock Miami time. I'm going to look nah, at that text message. Fried. You guys said six o'clock central, seven o'clock eastern. You guys didn't join until 7.30 Eastern. That's fine. I'm just saying, y'all tell no. us the time, and I'll be ready. Obviously, I, I, I'm i down whenever. It don't matter what y'all heard. Look at the text message. <laughs> no, no, I'm just saying, because we were doing my hair there. Look at the text. No, okay. My bad, Garrett. We're wrong. It was 6 o'clock. We were told 6.30. Because I was under the assumption that maybe you guys had had a separate conversation. That's why we weren't, you know, there. And when you sent out the text saying, "Okay, I'm here," you know, join me. We were yeah, a little confused, right? We were a little five com- minutes left. confused. So I should have read the the text message in completion and not assume that there was a separate conversation. So, yep. I mean, I'm not gonna lie; I didn't read it because I was doing my hair. So I read it. So what's the what would be the best time to do the podcast? Really up to y'all. I can't give you guys a set time because I work, God knows what my work schedule is each Sunday. So, and then next Sunday, um, I don't even know what my schedule is going to be. I'm available all day Sunday. (laughs) I think think the best way to go about it is to set a universal time every Sunday. And if you can make it, you can make it. If you can't make it, you can't. I think that's probably the best. Pick a time, Garrett. Yeah, pick a time, Garrett. Seven o'clock Eastern works for me. Which is six o'clock my time. Okay. Um, I may not be there next week, but I'll let you know. I'll be there. Where am I going to be? Dad'll be here. Yeah, Dad'll be here. Too. You guys want to let him know what we just talked about since you guys were talking? He's right. He just came back. I'm right here. He actually came back. Well, I'm not quite sure <laughs> what you heard or what you missed. It's sarcasm. Just doesn't. Really Didn't hear you, Garrett. <laughs> not even sarcasm, though, because half the time you do be going and you never come back. It is a 50-50 coin. 
<laughs> well, Gary, he came back and he said six o'clock is good. Cool. Not sure what he missed, but we're ending the podcast. And a topic we're going to start with next week is foundation stuff, ideas that you may have. Any ideas other than that, of course, feel free to think about it. And then Sundays, I guess Sunday dinner will be a thing at 6 o'clock Central and 7 p.m. Eastern. Okay. So, and we call it Sunday dinner. Got it. That was Al came up with that one. Right? Yeah, I mean, I called it Life on Earth, but Sunday dinner, I, I mean, that's cool. I figured it'd be cool to add her input. Okay. Well, I like Sunday Sunday dinner. So what's the topic we're in? Well, on? I recommended one, but mom and Taylor said they're done. He, he wanted his last question he wanted to ask was about Well, the not necessarily the about the foundation. It, like it it was just more so like in hindsight in in concluding all of the things we talked about, which there seemed to be a general theme around us and by black folks, for black folks, I just was going to end in a very informal, it honestly didn't have to be that long. Like, what are some ideas that y'all are thinking now that we do or soon to be have this outlet to get all these creative we ideas should. that we have, that we're having conversations about now that we can actually incorporate into. We should, talk about, we should talk more about ourselves, our family, as opposed to just general topics of what's going on around us. I, 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 I kind of thought that that was a whole idea for us to have an opportunity for us to learn more about each other as opposed to trying to you know talk about general. I think I think it can be whatever you want it to be. That's why I said this is raw and filtered, uncut, no format. If you if it's a time for us to learn more about each other, there, I, there is no wrong answer in that. It's whatever is on your mind and you'd like to talk about unless you do want us to start coming up with agendas. And if that's easier, it just again. This is the first one we're learning. I'm open to whatever. I don't think there's a right way to do this. Whatever you want to do, I think you should say it, and we should all talk about it. I mean, I'm gonna be honest with you. I mean, I, I, I guess I'm not looking for an agenda at all. I kind of like free flow conversation, but at least about us, what's going on with us, instead of things going on around us. That that works for me. I, I'm down. No, I got to get rid of that. Okay. Yeah, get rid of it. So, okay. So, I, I mean, I think we can talk about the the foundation uh, stuff, Garrett. It, I mean, and that way we can always, if, you know, there's any kind of like question as to what did we say we were actually going to do, we can always kind of say, oh, we can go back and actually li listen to, you know, what was, uh, no, it's not, what was discussed in, in, you know what needs to be so. done <laughs> honestly the older i get the more i think i have adhd well we don't want to talk about that right now <laughs> so garrett can can you end the podcast now yeah of, of course <laughs> yeah and then we'll call yeah. you on the photo right now why yeah yeah, I'm oh. gonna go ahead and watch All Star Game. Person. Oh, All Star Game time. Okay. No, it's uh, is in the second quarter already. Okay. Well, Garrett, I really appreciate you setting this up and putting this together. It's been very uh, informative. What's wrong with it? 
All right, man. Hey, we get together, set a time for next uh, Saturday, uh, Sunday. It doesn't necessarily mean all of us have to be on. I mean, if some people got some other things going on, just whoever's available. Yeah, I right? said that, but I, that's why I was like, what did you miss? What did you hear? That was part of what I said while you were probably at the bathroom. I, I think that's fine. I think whoever's available, set. I think you got to have a set time. Just, just have a set time. And then whoever's available, that's who we go with. You know, and that's just yeah. how it's going to be. I, no, I agree. I said the same thing. Um, I, I thought you were mm-hmm. here. So we, we agreed 6 o'clock Central. Every Sunday, whoever is here is down. And if you're not here, then oh well. Hey, hey, uh, let's make it 7 o'clock Central. That, okay, let's do that. Let's make it 7 o'clock Central. Make it a little bit later. That may, get, may give Al an opportunity to participate. Cool, that works. 7 o'clock Central. Um, you guys can expect an invite into this podcast. It's super easy. All you do is just click the link and um, you're in. So if you guys don't want to do it from your computer, you can do it from your phone. Either way. It's super easy to get in. Okay. Okay. Talk to you later. All right. Take it easy. Bye. Bye.